Well, in many ways, this started back at the beginning of the summer. Uh, Our young people have spent all summer involved in various acts of service. Uh, Tower has led them in a lot of different acts of service throughout the summer, benefiting the community, benefiting a lot of people. That sort of morphed into the idea of our Vacation Bible School a few weeks ago, where we talked about God's hands in the world. And you recall, if you were here for our Vacation Bible School, that instead of uh, crafts for our young people to take home, they got a few of those in various classes, but instead of a typical craft, they made something to benefit others in the community. They made blankets for the nursing home and some other things. Because we were trying to instill within them that God's hands are still in the world and we are those hands. And that morphed into today. And I want to welcome you to We Are the Sermon Day. This is a great day. This is a day that you may not have realized was in the works for a long time, but it has been. We didn't, we waited to announce it until just a few weeks ago when we got the the graphics and all those neat things together. Thank you, Google Images. But we, we try to make sure we, we got all those things together. But this is something that's been in prayer and preparation for a long, long time. And it's a day that is to remind all of us of what we are to be. You know, we so often at the end of our services, someone will come up here, a man will come up here and lead us in prayer. And very often in that closing prayer, we'll pray something along the lines of, help us to take this message and apply it to our everyday lives. Or live it out in our everyday lives. And that, that's, it's great that we pray that, but sometimes we pray it so often that I wonder if we really place it within our heart and place it within our actions each day. Today is an opportunity to do just that. To take what we know we are to be and to live it out. And it doesn't always take something as, as organized as a day like this in order to, to do that. But sometimes it's good for us to have this type of organization along those lines to to make sure we remember that we're all in this together. We're going to talk more about this in a few moments. But when God's people lock arms and stand shoulder to shoulder and work together, great things happen. And I'm excited about today. I barely slept last night. I, it was it was like a kid right before Christmas. It was kind of odd. 445. I was awake. We could have shown up at five and, and I could have gone ahead and preached. I'm sure you would have loved that, but it would, it would have been a great, great morning. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm telling you, I don't know how many times I woke up last night, just, just ready to go. So while you all are working this afternoon, I'll be taking a nap. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm going to be out there work. <laughs> Somebody laughed at a joke. Yes, that hasn't happened in a long time. But I, I'm, I'm excited about today, and I hope you are too. We are the sermon. There's an old saying, you know it to be true, that people don't care how much you know until... They know how much you care. Edward Guest wrote a poem that most of us know the first line of, whether we know who wrote the poem or not. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. That's so very true. It's so true that people in our world need to see that we are who we claim to be. Is what we are doing this morning important? Absolutely. It is essential. And I look forward to, to, to worship. I look forward to us coming together and encouraging one another and worshiping God together and building each other up. But if this is the extent of our Christianity, quite frankly, it is not Christianity. It's not what God has required us to be. It's not Christ designed for His church. So, so why are we doing this? Why are we going out? And, and why are we having services tonight at a playground and, and, instead of in here? 
But we're going to end tonight at 6 o'clock at, at City Lake Playground, not just because it's a neat place, but because it symbolically reminds us to continue what we are doing. I think Tyler's going to talk about that tonight, so I'll stop right there and not steal his sermon for tonight. But it reminds us to continue on. Today is meant to be a day to remind all of us to continue on with the work. Two Sunday nights ago, we met over in the old auditorium for our monthly singing night. And the emphasis of that night, as far as the song we kind of had the lesson around, was the very short song that's entitled Servant Song. Make me a servant. Lord, make me like you. For you are a servant. Make me one too. Make me a servant. Do what you must do to make me a servant. Make me like you. So far, around 102 or 103 people are going to be helping out this afternoon. That's phenomenal. There's still slots available. We left the sign-up sheets up in case you haven't been here. Or you didn't realize what was going on. You'd like to see what's going on. I personally know of others who said, you know, there's not anything on that sign-up sheet that I'm sure I could do. But I actually talked to someone on Friday who said, but I've got three or four people and we're going to go visit one of the assisted living homes here in town this afternoon. That's fantastic. That's great. You don't have to have a sign-up sheet. Be, be be out in the community this afternoon doing something. Go visit the nursing home. Go visit the hospital. Go visit someone who's shutting. Go visit one of the assisted living homes. Let's make sure that we lock arms as God's people and cover this community. Because that's what Christ expects. And to help us prepare for that this morning, I want us to use that text that we read a few minutes ago from Matthew chapter 5. It's a text you know very well. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But we know those pictures very, very well. But I want us to see why Christ would use those pictures. And I want us to use that as a jumping off point for our lesson or for our day together. I want us to think, first of all, about salt. Because salt really is the power of influence. If you were sitting close to us down here, you may have got part of the sermon or part of the picture given away to you. When we read the scripture reading a few minutes ago and uh, Keith read for us, you are the salt of the earth. Turner started going. And I was like, Turner, don't give it away. Yes, I have a salt shaker in, in the pulpit with me. Salt is the power of influence. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. But if salt has lost its savor, its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, we still talk about people who are salt of the earth people. Even people who don't care that much about the Bible still use that terminology. That someone who's just a, a good person, they're just salt of the earth people. Sometimes, and I don't mean this to be morbid, but sometimes you'll hear that often at funerals. Where someone's just describing someone who was just a good person, and they say that was just a, a salt of the earth individual. We know the picture. It doesn't have to be someone who's the fanciest person ever. They don't have to have the fanciest clothes or live in the nicest house. They don't have to be the greatest orator that there ever was. They may not have all kinds of money, but they were just good people. But Jesus uses salt of the earth for something more than just goodness. He uses it for influence. These are people who, no matter what they have or don't have, no matter where they might live, no matter how many skills or abilities they may have or not have, they're just, they just realize that they're influencing others by the way they live. You know, Jesus chose the picture of salt 
for a lot of reasons. You may have heard sermons before about all the different ways in which salt was used in that ancient culture. It was a preservative, for example. You would, you would spread it all over meat and it would store or keep meat for some time as a preservative and, and a lot of other things. But all of those other qualities of salt that you may have studied before or thought about before really fall in line behind that salt is influential. You put salt on food and you know it's there. You keep salt off of food and you know it's not there. Now, some of you didn't eat breakfast this morning, so I'm going to apologize to this first point. because I'm going to talk about food for a few minutes. If you eat breakfast, just remember it is the most important meal of the day, even on Sunday. And this is one of the reasons why. But maybe maybe you go to a restaurant and you have a nice big baked potato. If you eat breakfast, sorry, a nice big baked potato there. You know when you put salt on that baked potato. And you know when you don't put it on there. Now, some of you all would put salt on a salt lick. Some of you all are crazy with salt, okay? I mean, it's piled up on top of it. But you put even the tiniest amount on there, and you know it's there. But here's what's very interesting. The salt does not become the baked potato. The salt influences the baked potato. That's one of the reasons Jesus would use the picture of being the salt of the earth. You see, we don't become like the world. God's people influence the world. It should be very, very obvious to the world around us when God's people are present. And it should be just as obvious when God's people are not present. But not because we become like the world. It's because we are doing all we can to influence the world for good and for God. For doing the best we possibly can. It's not because we change ourselves to become like them. It's because we say, look, this is what it means to be a Christian. And we are going to be among you, helping you become what God would have you to be. We teach our young people, and we should, that one person can make a difference. Oh, how true that is. Especially this time of year when our young people are, are going back to school. We, we try to remind them, I'm sure Tyra has and Bible school teachers have. I'm sure they've tried to remind our young people that one person can make a difference. That each young person in their class or on their team or in the band or whatever they happen to be doing, that one person can make a great difference for God. They can be influential. Each of us as adults need to be reminded of that. There are times maybe where you work or in your neighborhood or somewhere else where you feel as if you're you're the only person who's trying to do what's right. And sometimes we need to be reminded that by ourselves, individually, we can influence the world. That's biblical and it's true. But how much greater is it when all of God's people lock arms and stand shoulder to shoulder and influence the world together? You put one grain of salt on a giant baked potato. You might be able to taste it when you take that bite. I I don't know. Some of you have really, really good palates and those sorts of things. But the more you put on there, you just can't miss it. One more thing before we move on from salt. You go to that same restaurant and you order your baked potato and the baked potato is sitting there in front of you. And you say, hey, pass me the salt. Someone passes you a salt shaker. And you set the salt shaker right over here. And your baked potato is right in front of you. And you look at one and you look at the other. And you look at one you look at the other. You look at one and look at the other. And you take a bite of the baked potato. Guess what's not going to happen? That baked potato is not going to taste salty. Why? 
Because the salt is still in the salt shaker. It can be very, very easy for us to come together as God's people in this building. And we should, and we should look forward to it, and it's exciting. But if we feel this is the extent of our Christianity, then the salt remains in the salt shaker. We must take what we do here and apply it to the world. To influence the world, we must take Christianity outside the walls. Do we come together to be encouraged? Yes. And it's a great thing. But we cannot remain in the salt shaker and be what God would have us to be. You're the salt of the earth. The power of influence. And then Jesus says, further than that, you're also the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He'll illustrate that in two ways we'll talk about in just a moment. But you think about something interesting about the, the order in which Jesus put those two things. He began with something basically imperceptible. One tiny little grain of salt is kind of hard to see. Unless you have really good eyesight. And, and just think about if we were to take everyone out of this room for a moment. And one person were to come in here with one grain of salt. And just set it some random place and say, okay, go in there and find it. Good luck. You would probably just stumble across it if you happened to find it. That one grain of salt would be virtually impossible to find in such a place. But now let's picture for a moment that there are no windows in this room. It's just completely solid walls. And we turn all the lights out in this room. And then we have one of our young people stand right in this middle aisle here and light one match. Guess what? If you've got decent eyesight, you're not going to miss it. You see, Jesus went from something that was basically imperceptible, one tiny grain of salt, to something that cannot be missed, even one flicker of light. You're the light of the world is the power of illumination. And so to illustrate it, Jesus uses two pictures. The first is very simple, very short. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, I don't want to dig real deeply into this text this morning. That's not the purpose of the lesson. But, but Jesus could have had something in his mind that his listeners would have immediately thought of. You see, in the time in which Jesus was teaching, there were some who believed and taught that Jerusalem was the light to the world. And Jerusalem itself, of course, some of you have been there, sits on hills. And so Jesus could have been trying to plant the seed, if you please, of what was going to be taught later in the New Testament. That now we don't have to go to the temple in order to worship. We are that temple. Jesus could have had that in mind. He was simply planting that seed for what was going to be taught later, even after he was raised from the dead. But even if he didn't have that in mind, we know this picture very, very well. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. A lot of you know I was raised in southeast Missouri. We've got a couple other Missouri folks here. It's always good to... Meet people from Missouri. If you're one of good people, meet people from Missouri. And I know some of you are thinking, I know some scoundrel from Missouri. You know what we say to that? Show me. Okay, that's, that's, what we, that's what we say to it. There are good people from the state of Missouri. But in southeast Missouri, where I was from, you leave the city of Sykeston. Some of you know where that is. And you travel west towards Dexter. It is 23 miles. And this floor has more hills than those 23 miles. It is the flattest place in America. It's unbelievable. Except for where the city of Dexter begins. Dexter begins on a ridge, Crowley's Ridge. On a clear night, when you get about two miles outside of Sykeston, so, so all the lights of the city, the town are behind you. 
If it's a clear night, you can literally see taillights and headlights on the ridge 19 miles ahead. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. But then Jesus, as if that wasn't enough of an illustration, makes it even more personal. Well, I can't see myself as a city. That sounds almost arrogant in a way. But then he says, how about in a personal way then? Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bushel. Instead, you put it up on a candlestick or a stand so that it gives light to the whole house. You know as well as I do that in that day and time, people didn't have lamps like we have now. You couldn't go to, to Hobby Lobby and buy a bunch of lamps and turn on the electricity and shine light over the place. They had small wicker lamps that they simply carried around the house. They didn't have enough of them and some couldn't afford more than one or they couldn't afford the oil for several lamps. So they simply had one lamp. That might be the only one that was used on a particular night. And many of the houses in that time were very small. And some of them didn't have any windows at all. The only opening might be a door that was covered at night. And so you have the only lamp. And you light the lamp. How foolish would it be to then say, I'm going to put that under a basket. But you take that same little lamp. That's the only light in the room. Only light in the house. And you set it all up on some kind of candlestick or stand. Again, if you have decent eyesight, even the people in the farthest corners of that house are going to see that light. It may not provide enough to do everything you might want to do, but you can at least maneuver through the house based upon that one simple light. Here was a lamp that was very, very small, and it provided light to the entirety of the house. Light dispels darkness. You get a completely dark room and turn on a very small light and you can see it. But you start turning on more lights or start lighting more matches or start lighting more lamps and you simply cannot miss it. God is described in the New Testament as light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If light dispels darkness, that's why that picture becomes true. There is no darkness, no evil In God whatsoever. That picture of light and darkness is so often used in the New Testament of righteousness and unrighteousness. Light for good or righteousness. Dark for evil or unrighteousness. God is light is the exact same thing as saying God is all good. Or God is all righteous. And so there's no darkness in him. Where God is, there is no darkness. By extension, if we are to be God's people, where we are, there should be no darkness. We should dispel that darkness simply by the way we live. Now, God is perfect. We will make mistakes at times, but that's the way it should be, that we dispel the darkness. You think about those two pictures. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I want to make one other point that Jesus actually makes in, in those verses. It's, it's sobering, but it's something we need to remember. Salt is the power of influence. Light is the power of illumination. But both of them can lose their power. Remember in verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But then he says, but if the salt has lost its saltiness or its savor, it's not... To paraphrase, really, it's not good for anything. You throw it out the window and let people trample it under their feet. 
Again, if you didn't have breakfast, sorry. But you go to that same restaurant, you get that baked potato, and they bring out some salt, and you put a little bit of salt in there and take a bite, and you can't tell any difference. You're going to put more salt on there? You're going to ask for more. I'm going to ask for more. Because I want salt that still does its job. I want salt that still influences that baked potato and makes, makes it saltier, makes it taste that way that I want it to taste. Light can be turned out. Those wicker lamps in that day and time, sometimes you blew them out. Sometimes if you could afford it, you had a snuffer and you snuffed out the light, but you could put it out. You light a match in a dark room, you can blow that match out, the light on that match out. That's, that's not that big of a problem. You go in your room this afternoon, you turn on a lamp, you can turn that lamp back off. The power could go out. Many ways a light can go out. Jesus Basically, by implication, when he said that salt can lose its saltiness, he never says light can lose its light ability. But we simply know that to be true, that light can be put out just as surely as the sun comes up in the morning. It's going to go down in the evening and it's going to be dark. Why would Jesus put that in there? If we are not influencing for Christ. And if we are not illuminating the world, we are not what Christ expects us to be. And he has to point that out because, quite frankly, he knows us too well. He knows us so well. Now, that's the sermon. We know those four verses very, very well, at least three of them. I haven't talked about the fourth quite yet. They're words that most of us can at least paraphrase, some of you can quote them without even having to think about it because we've heard them. They're verses we teach our smallest children. We try to teach them about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We use those pictures, salt, light, let your light shine, be an influence, shine the light of Christ. We know those things. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge of we are the sermon day. What are we going to do about it? We can come to this building time after time after time. And we must. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Is what we are doing this morning important? Yes, it is essential, in fact. It's absolutely important. But may I just gently ask... What are the odds that someone just wanders in off the street and says, I want to become a Christian because I saw your doors open and I know you practice Christianity because you sing, you pray, you give, you eat the Lord's Supper and you study the Bible. Are those things important? Yes. They're essential. Or we can always do what God expects us to do. Not just when we come together. That's why Jesus ended this section of the Sermon on the Mount with probably the most famous verse. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. There's nothing wrong with people seeing that you're doing good. I've known people before who say, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. Well, that's fine. I get the humility and the attitude. But Jesus said... People need to see what you're doing, but not because they're giving you the glory. Let them see your good works that they may give glory to your father. Who is in heaven. You see, there should be something so distinct, 
not just about what we do, but about the manner in which we do it, that people are amazed and say, I've never seen anything like this. What is it about these people that would make them do this or visit there or be with these kinds of people and have the peace, have the joy, have the attitude that they have all the time? What? I mean, I've seen people do some of the things we're doing this afternoon, but not like they do it. What is it about these people? It's not because we're anything special. It's because we serve a great God. And we want to shine his light in the world. That's why we're doing what we are doing. There's one other thing I want to point out. I've emphasized salt and light. I haven't emphasized one other word that's found in both of them. Did you notice Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world? That's that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But if you notice, it's not in the form of a command. He does not say thou shalt be the salt of the earth. He does not say thou shalt be the light of the world. He says you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Why would he word it that way? It's because Jesus was setting the expectation level as high as it could be set. If I am not influencing people for Christ, if I am not illuminating a world of darkness with the light of God, I am not what Christ said I am. Christ followers, disciples, Christians are the salt of the earth. Not they might be, not they could be, not they will be, they are. Christ followers, not might, could, will be the light of the world, they are the light of the world. And what made these people different? Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to people who would leave their everyday lives to come out to him and hear what he had to say about everything. Those are the kinds of people who are the salt of the earth. What makes Christians the salt of the earth? What makes Christians the light of the world? It is that we are willing to put everything else secondary. And say whether I'm in a house of worship, whether I'm at school, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at home, whether I'm on the ball field, whether I'm in the band, whether I'm in my neighborhood, whether I'm at the mall, which you'll never find me at, whether you're at the store, whether I'm with my friends whether I'm with my neighbors, whether I'm with my enemies, I am one who wears the name of Christ and no one can miss it. That's what this afternoon is all about. But far more than that, that's what our lives are to be about. When people look at you, would they unmistakably know at all times, in all circumstances, that's one who does what he or she does to the glory of God. That's one who has an attitude that says, this is not about me. It's about him. 
you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. This morning, if that hasn't been true of you, if you have not been letting your light shine, if you say, you know what, I have my saltness, my influence is not what it needs to be. I haven't been lighting the world up for God's glory, not for my own, but for God's glory. Then we invite you to come. We invite you to become a Christian. We invite you to return in faithfulness. We invite you to dedicate, rededicate your life to Him. We invite you to seek prayers of encouragement, prayers of strength. Will you come as we stand and sing to encourage?